Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. So uh, I've had several people asking me over the last several weeks since we put this out that we were going to be having this one-week standalone conversation called the United States of America. What in the world are you going to be talking about? And that includes our staff. Our staff has been asking the question, what exactly are you going to be talking about? To be honest, our staff is nervous just about every time that I stand up and take this stage. And the reason is because they're terrified that I'm going to say something one Sunday that's going to run like half the people off and then they're not going to have jobs anymore. So they've all been wondering, like, what are you going to talk about? What conversation are you going to have? What political political party are you going to offend and you need to know I'm an equal opportunity offender and so we're planning on offending everybody in the room this morning Um, but you need to hear me say this kind of up front loud and clear I don't have an agenda of trying to get you to vote for a specific person or specific candidate this morning Um, my job is to declare and proclaim the gospel of Jesus not to declare and proclaim um, the the political standings of a particular um, political candidate however you do need to know that what we're going to talk about is probably going to challenge you this morning so I'm I'm going to lay all my cards out on the table up front. Usually you save everything and you kind of uh, reveal your big idea at the end after you build up, build up, build up. I'm just going to like throw it all out there on the table right now so you know exactly what I'm asking you to do. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This morning, I am going to challenge you to put your faith over your politics. To put your faith over your politics. Now, for most of you in the room, me saying that is not very offensive. That's easy. It's like, well, no, that's no problem at all. I can totally dig that. And the reason is, is because my faith drives my politics. For most of you, you say, like, the reason I am a Republican, the reason I am a Democrat is because of my faith. Time out. Before you say that, you need to hear me say loud and clear what I'm not saying. And what I'm not saying is Bible first, politics second. And what I'm not saying is Jesus first, politics second. And let me explain. The reason that I'm not saying Bible first, politics second, or Jesus first, politics second, is because you can take any particular verse out of the Bible or take any particular statement made by Jesus and use it to defend your point of view on any particular issue. Everybody can take and pick and choose what they want out of the scriptures to defend their position or their political platform. Matter of fact, some of you that are in here this morning, you're a Republican. And the reason that you're a Republican is because the the Republican Party is pro-life. And because the Republican Party is pro-life, you align yourself with the Republican Party because God is pro-life. Jesus is pro-life. He invented all of life. He created all of life. So he's obviously pro-life. Like Jesus talked specifically about marriage between a man and and a woman. And so if Jesus talked about marriage between a man and a woman, and a woman, then obviously Jesus is pro-family and anti-gay marriage. So that's why you're a Republican because Jesus was a Republican, right? And then some of you make the argument that Jesus was a Democrat because he was a free health care dispensing machine. He just went from town to town just giving away health care like crazy, right? And so you're saying because Jesus said, love the poor, like feed the homeless, like like heal the sick, clothe um, the naked, then Jesus must have been a Democrat, right? And so you can use whatever verses you want to to defend whatever positions that you have to articulate the fact that Jesus was whoever it is that you want him to be. So I am not saying Bible first or Jesus first, politics second. Here's what I am saying. To get this right, we can't simply look at what Jesus said. We have to look at what Jesus did. 
People all too often make the mistake of quoting Jesus and taking Jesus out of context to get their view or their point across. And so we're not going to look at what Jesus said this morning. Instead, we're going to look at what Jesus did. And Jesus wasn't Bible first, politics second. Jesus wasn't even God first, politics second. He knew that God and humanity were fine because he was going to the cross to to, to literally sacrifice his life for the sins of the world. Jesus operated this way. If you're taking notes, write this down. People first, politics second. And it wasn't found in what he said. It was found in what he did. Because everywhere that Jesus went, no matter what group of people would look at him and say, oh, so you must be on that side. Oh, no, no, no. So you must be on that side. He didn't care. He did whatever was best for people in any given Situation, despite what group it would align him with. Why? Because he was people first, politics second. See, we can disagree on what's best for people, and we do, right? Like, sh- should we live in a country where uh, everybody can get a gun? Should we live in a country where nobody can get a gun? Should we live in a country where only certain people can get guns? Should we go into certain bathrooms? Should we not allow people to go into certain bathrooms? Should certain people allowed to be allowed to get married? Should certain people not allowed to be get married? See, we can all disagree on what's best for people because we've all got our opinions, right? We all have the opinions of what kind of nation we want our children to grow up in. We can disagree on what's best for people. But watch this and pay close attention. But we can't disagree that what's best for people is ultimately what's best. What's best for people and putting people first and taking care of people and loving people and allowing people to supersede politics, we can't disagree on the fact that that's what's best. Because ultimately when we put people first, we are living out the heart and character of Jesus. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat, everybody can get on board with the fact that what's best for people is what's best. This is why the early church in the first century exploded. This is why they literally had people from all over the world saying, we want to be a part of that, we want to be a part of that, we want to be a part of that, because they put people over situations. They put people over circumstances. They put people over politics every single time. That's why when you read the New Testament and you read the early writings of the early church outside of the New Testament, you never see anybody saying anything about political issues. They're literally just talking about how to walk in the faith of knowing Jesus. And they had political issues to talk about. I know that what you're, I know you're, like you're thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. They, they didn't have to deal with the stuff that we have to deal with in our nation. Are you kidding me? They lived under Roman oppression. They had an emperor named Nero who was burning Christians at the stake, who was boiling Christians alive, who was hanging followers of Jesus upside down and nailing them to crosses. They had political issues to talk about, but you don't see them even mentioning it in the New Testament. Why? they were far more concerned with the gospel of Jesus and expanding the gospel of Jesus and expanding the way of life that is indicative of the gospel of Jesus than they ever were about politics. Because politics came second to people. They made their faith in God and the ramifications of it their number one priority. And they weren't going to let any political issue supersede this. And let me tell you why this is. Hang with me for a second because this is the part where I'm going to run people off. 
It's because they didn't consider themselves citizens of Rome. They considered themselves citizens of heaven. Now watch this. We don't live that way. Because we were born into a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, because we were born in a nation that, that was born out of a desire for religious freedom and freedom from persecution, we have naturally gravitated towards this really negative thing where we have assimilated Christianity and Americanism. Right, where those two things are together now. In fact, and I'm not knocking any church that does this because of the tradition and because of what it means. You gotta know I love this, but literally almost every church in our area, at least once a year, is gonna do something called God and Country Sunday. You guys remember going to those when you were growing up in church? You go to God and Country Sunday and they'd have all the different branches of the military like come down the aisle. Somebody would be holding the Christian flag. Somebody would be holding the American flag. You'd say the Pledge of Allegiance and you'd sing Amazing Grace all there together and it was called God and Country Sunday. Like I'm not knocking people who do that, but you got to hear me say that is a direct result of in this nation assimilating and blending together Americanism and Christianity as if they are equal counterparts. And they're not... There is nowhere in my Bible that says to be a good Christian, you got to be a good American. Hang tight. It's only going downhill from here. Right? And here's, and here's why. Because at the end of the day, our allegiance can't be in two places. It can only be in one But when I look at the political landscape and the conversations that we're having, God, I feel like people are putting priority on what's best or what they believe is best for this nation over people. Like we're tearing down people like crazy. We're, we're, we're slinging people through the mud. We're labeling people. We're screaming at people. People are on Facebook typing in all caps, and that wasn't even a thing 20 years ago. And we're doing it in the name of what we believe to be right, what we believe to be just, what we believe to be holy because of the political affiliations that we have. But what we're doing in the process is tearing down people at the expense of our own political agendas. And it's like God is screaming to you and to me, hey, where is your allegiance and who are you a citizen of? Are you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or are you a citizen of America first? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being patriotic. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having allegiance to this nation. you got to know I am proud to live in the United States of America. This is the best country on the planet, and I couldn't imagine raising my kids anywhere else. But the moment that I start defending this country, being, living, acting, doing things a certain way at the expense of people, I've missed out on who it is that God's called me to be. God has called me to be a citizen of heaven first. Politics second. Faith over politics. And a citizen of this country. Next. We don't think like this. And for proof, I want to point you to a passage of scripture that was written by one of Jesus' best friends. If anybody's going to know Jesus is one of his best friends. Um, it was written by a guy named Peter. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to flip open to the book of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are going to be on the screens for you. You can follow along on our Hope City app, or you can follow along on version on your smartphone or tablet. 
Um, however, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one free of charge. We've got them available at our resource center for you today as our gift to you. We want you to be able to study God's word for yourself. We're going to pick it up, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And I want you to look at the tone in which this is written. Even more than the content, I want you to look at the tone and the way that it's written to believers in the first century and see how different it would be written if it were written to you and to me. Dear friends, Peter's saying to the church, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Wait, time out. Hold the phone. He's writing to the church, right? Yeah, the church in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, they're not foreign. Like, they're Jews. They're in Jerusalem. Everything's good. Everything's fine. What is the problem? Why is he writing them as foreigners and exiles? Because they were living under oppression from a government that did not honor God. And when the government did not honor God, Peter did not say rise up against the government. He said, you are foreigners in a strange land and I need to talk to you about how you need to live. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. It's interesting. He didn't say, you need to write your congressman and tell that congressman to pass legislation so that people will not live outside of the will of God for their life in Rome. No. People who were outside the church lived like they were outside the church, and there was no expectation for people outside the church to live any different. He said, you. This isn't about them. This is about you. 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 Flee from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And here's how you make a difference. You want to make a difference in your country. You want to make a difference in your family. You want to make a difference in your state. You want to change the face of your city. Here's how you do it right here. Live such good lives among the pagans. Don't try to change the pagans. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and end up glorifying God on the day that he visits us. This isn't about them, this is about you. It's not about them changing, it's about you changing. And if you'll change, ultimately it'll change them. He goes on, the next verse. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. Whether to the emperor. What emperor is he talking about? He's talking about a little guy named Nero. Who burned Christians at the stakes. We're supposed to submit ourselves to him. We're supposed to honor him. How does that work? Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. See, how in the world am I supposed to honor someone I disagree with, someone that I don't believe in, someone who's literally leading our country in the wrong direction? You need to remember this. The scripture says that all authority, all authority has been placed by God. Nothing catches God by surprise. Whether Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump win the next election, you got to know it was because God allowed it to happen. For everybody that's freaking out, that's worrying, that's going nuts, that's saying our country is going to hell in a handbasket, our kids are going to have horrible situations and circumstances to be raised in. If this person gets elected, I don't know if we're going to make it to the next century. Ah, 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 stop it. You're scaring the children. Just stop it. Because every human authority that's in authority has been placed into that authority by 
God. God allowed it to happen. You say, well, wait a minute. There's been some horrible authorities in the world. Yes, and God allowed every single one to happen. God caught every situation, picked up all the broken pieces, and used them for his glory. God is still on the throne no matter who's sitting in the Oval Office. As the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will, and this is for you and for me, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Wow. Let's be honest. In this political landscape, is that how we're trying to silence the talk of foolish people? No. We're trying to silence the talk of foolish people by talking louder and faster than they are. We try to argue our way out. I've never met anybody whose life was changed and whose direction was turned around because they were argued to the cross. It's God's will that by you and me doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Live with the freedom that God has blessed you with. Live with the freedom that God has given you. And recognize the fact that it doesn't matter who is in the White House, who's Washington, D.C., who is in Congress or Senate, that you are free, not because this nation says that you're free, but because the blood of Jesus has set you free. And those who've been set free by the Son are free indeed. So live as free people. And the next verse says this. Look at this. But, and this is huge, don't miss this, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Now, this is big because this is where we get into a lot of trouble, particularly in our culture right now. We use our position in Christ as a tool to do wrong by other people. Because they believe in a position that's different from us. Because they take a a, a stance that's different than us. Because we don't line up with their views. We then trash them and treat them like garbage. But do it in the name of holiness. Do it in the name of righteousness. Do it in the name of goodness. Do it in the name of Jesus. And if you're treating somebody like garbage in the name of Jesus, it's not Jesus that you're doing it in the name of. So many people use their freedom in Christ as a cover-up for evil. When you treat somebody bad to try to get them to believe like you, it wasn't worth getting them to believe like you. Why? Because Jesus modeled people first. Politics. Second, live as God's slaves. Don't live as citizens of this country. Live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. What? I was good with the first three, but what the heck is up with that last one? Like it's a salutation. It's the end of the conversation. Here's some things that you need to make sure you're doing in your life. You need to make sure you show proper respect to everyone. You need to love the family of believers. You need to fear God. Oh, and by the way, just in case you missed it, you need to honor the emperor. Wait a minute, you talking about that guy who's trying to kill us? You talking about that guy who's making terrible decisions? You talking about that guy who's living in debauchery and then killing us for trying to live holy? Yeah, honor him. Why? Because your mandate 
is to change the hearts and lives of people through the gospel of Jesus. And to honor him who dishonors you. Because that is what will draw people to me. Jesus said this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but that neighbor, that's a horrible neighbor. Like they're, they're, they're like they, they, can you believe they voted for them? Like I'm not, I'm not loving that neighbor. That neighbor's got issues. That neighbor's got problems. That neighbor is, is, is going to send our country to hell in a handbasket. And Jesus said, well, I got a verse for you then too. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Why? Because it's by this. That all men will know that you're my disciples. You say, I don't like that. We don't have to like it. But the moment you're living most like Jesus is the moment you're getting pinned to a cross for the sake of other people. But I want to make a difference in our country. I want to affect change in our country. I want, I want, to, I want to do something that's, that's making this place better than the way we found it. Okay? If that's true, I'm sure early Christians felt the exact same way. But they didn't attempt to change the government or overthrow the empire or even complain about Nero. They loved their neighbor as themselves. And in so doing, they changed the face of a nation. Within... The first century, all of a sudden, Rome wasn't so anti-Christian anymore. In fact, they established a pretty big church. It's called the Roman Catholic Church. See, the way you make a difference in this nation, the way you change this nation, is not by who you vote for or who you send to Washington. The way you change this nation is by choosing to make a difference right where you are, by loving your neighbor as yourself. And when you do, it will change your sphere of influence. It will change your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. And all of a sudden, this nation will be better than you found it. And it won't have anything to do with the way you voted. It will have everything to do with the way you lived. God's desire for you and God's desire for me is to keep our focus on him and his desires for people and not to allow politics to distract us. People first, politics second, every single time. And here's why. Because nobody goes to Washington, D.C. when they die. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And I see people who bear the name Jesus having conversations with people that look completely careless about their eternal destination as long as they get their vote right. I'm not saying voting is not important. I'm not saying that being involved in the political process is not important. Those are extremely important things. But make sure you keep those things secondary to the fact that Jesus is coming and he desperately wants to bring his people home. And there are people who desperately need to be in that crowd. I'm going to give you three things real quick and I'll get you out of here. Three practical ways to do this. I'm just going to list them all for you. Three practical ways that you can love your neighbor. 
during a tense political season. Three practical ways that you can put people before, before politics. Number one, if you're taking notes, write these down. Be a listener more than a talker. Be a listener more than a talker. You know why this is so important? Because the talking that you do won't matter if you haven't chose to listen to your audience first. Often we can talk, 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 talk to we're blue in the face about a particular issue and the people we're talking to don't care. Right? And so it doesn't matter how great your thesis is. It doesn't matter how many points you have and how it all fits together. If you haven't listened to them and heard where they're coming from in the conversation, then your talking doesn't do you any good. The next time that you get on your computer or that you open your phone and you see something you disagree with or you see something you don't like or you see something that doesn't make any sense, I want to challenge you with something. Before you click status update and post, which is talking, try asking a question and actually listening to the response. Be a listener more than a talker. Number two, seek to understand rather than to be understood. Seek to understand rather than to be understood. Right now when you get on social media and you see somebody make a political comment or a political statement, you can go ahead and bank on it. You can almost mark your watch by it. That somebody else is going to respond or reply to that comment, but they're not just going to reply with a sentence. They're not going to even reply with a paragraph. They're going to reply with four paragraphs to explain their position. And everybody knows this is true because you've all seen it, right? Like somebody says something and somebody says, well, I don't agree with that, but I'm just going to tell you that I don't agree with it. I'm going to make sure that you understand exactly where I'm coming from. Why? Because we live in a world where we want to be understood. What if we stopped and said, no, rather than seeking to be understood, we're going to seek to understand. Why? Because the people that we're trying to understand are people that God loves and God has a plan for, whether you agree with their politics or not. And then finally, number three, stand against a position, not a person. Stand against a position, not a person. I'm convinced. I know this is going to blow some of you away. I'm convinced there's going to be Democrats in heaven. <gasps> I know. I got blown away too. And for some of you other ones, I'm convinced there's going to be Republicans that actually make it in. There are people that God loves, that God pursues, that God has a plan for their life. And when we label them as something and then we treat them like what we've labeled them as, we're no longer being the hands and feet of Jesus in their life. Stand against a position. Stand firm on a position. Have your beliefs. But don't label somebody with them. Don't use them to badger or to belittle a person. And by the way, this includes political candidates. We should honor those that God allows to be in this process. We should honor those that, that God allows to take authoritative positions over us. Does that mean you have to like them? No. Does that mean you have to agree with them? Absolutely not. But stand against their positions. Don't stand against them. I've seen some of the meanest, most heartless careless things said about political candidates and it's come out of the mouths of those who have been recipients of the grace of Jesus. Come on. We're bigger than that. We're better than that. Why? Because of who Jesus is in our life. You may not like Donald Trump. You may not like his hair. You may not like his skin tone. But keep your mouth shut about it. 
You may think that Hillary is a character from the Wizard of Oz. Keep your mouth shut about it. Talk about issues. But as followers of Jesus, let's not talk about people. Because God cares about those people just as much as he cares about you. And if you need a Bible verse, because you're a Bible kind of person, and you need a Bible verse to back this up so that it's not just Robbie up here rattling off, check out Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. The next time that you want to rattle off about how you feel about the situation, rather than understanding how they feel, just remember what the writer of Proverbs called you. As followers of Jesus, may we not be fools. May we not be people who bank our stock in positions, opinions, or political platforms. Because those will always let us down and will always end up looking like fools. May we put our hope in Jesus and live our lives accordingly by putting people over politics every time. And may people say about us, they put their faith over their politics because that's ultimately what matters to them. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for who you are in our lives. Thank you for looking at us and rather than airing your opinions about us, thank you for pursuing us with love and compassion and care. Thank you for being a heavenly father. God, our hope and our prayer as a church is that the people who bear the name of your son would walk out of this place and be committed and convicted to put people first. Not to shy away from political discourse. Not to avoid conversations about the election or candidates. But God, that we would be people who see people before we see positions. Because ultimately, you saw us as sons and daughters before you saw our mistakes which is why you went to the cross for those mistakes to bring us home. God, thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.